We're going to get right back into our study and try to pick up where we left off last week and uh, finish up. I'm, uh, it might not seem like it, but I am trying to get through this portion so that we can get into uh, some other things that deal with the coming of the Lord. Uh, but let's look at, uh, let's begin by looking at the book of Zechariah. We're going to go back there briefly, and then we're going to look at Joel, and then we'll return to Matthew. Okay, so Zechariah chapter number 12. Zechariah chapter 12. And we will look at, man, it's good to see Hudson. Good to see you there. Hudson Mason. That's an interesting uh, sounding name, Hudson Mason. It kind of has a little, little ditty to it. All right, Zechariah chapter 12, and we will read some verses here that we read last week, and then we will hasten to move on to the next, uh, to the next thing here. Let's pray together and ask the Lord for His blessing upon our study, and I want to encourage you to... Uh, to follow along in the Scripture as we, as we read, um, and uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing to you and uh, an encouragement. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, study your word together for all the people that have showed uh, up this morning and are listening in, and, uh, but then there are some who can't be with us, Lord. I think of uh, Miss Meredith and um, as, as well as others who are under affliction right now. Lord, give them grace and give them peace, uh, especially Mrs. Meredith uh, right now as she's uh, just just in a bad spot. But Lord, we know that you're with her and uh, you're faithful to her, Lord. And uh, thank you for that. Please uh, bless her. Lord, we also pray for uh, brother and sister, especially brother Thomas, as he uh, recovers from uh, the procedure he had recently, and I pray that you'd give him a full and quick recovery. And bless the rest of uh, the other people that can't be here this morning. I pray that, uh, that, they would, that they would be encouraged as they listen. And Lord, I pray as well that you would uh, bless your word to our hearts, Lord. We need you to teach us. Guide me to know what to say, I ask, Lord. And I pray that you would guide the hearts, give, give each one of us ears to hear, that we would hear the word of God and it would change us. And uh, Lord, help our knowledge to increase in the scriptures. And I just pray that your will would be done here this morning. We commit this time to you. And Lord, also we pray for those other Sunday school teachers that are teaching your word, that are trying to present and explain and, and instruct the students in the, in the truth. I pray that that would be fruitful as well in each class, in each heart. Please, Lord, we ask your blessing upon that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Zechariah chapter number 12. Now, a little bit of trivia. We talked about the uh, period that the Lord Jesus uh, mentions called the, the, the Great Tribulation. He said, he said that such that time would be Great Tribulation, such as was never, had never occurred before. I'm paraphrasing. Would never occur, had never occurred up to that time, no, nor ever shall be, which means that this period of tribulation is... Of such, and of course, the, the the handout I gave you listed some of those terrible things that the Lord said would happen uh, prior to his uh, prior to his second advent, 
and uh, of course there are terrible things, but he says those things would, that affliction, that trouble would be worse than any other event that is ever or will ever occur in human history. So this is a pinnacle event, and we'll see that uh, more in just a minute. Can anybody tell me, the? Uh, we, we listed two or three, I say two or three, because I didn't clearly define whether I had two or whether I had three, but can anybody tell me the purposes of the tribulation, this, this period of judgment as described in the, the Scripture? One, to bring Israel to Jesus, right? We know that Israel rejected Jesus, and as, it, as according to the flesh... Those most culpable for the, the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross were the Jews. Jesus said it. They, the Jews were more guilty than the Romans, more guilty than Pilate or Herod, who all had a hand in the Lord's crucifixion from a human standpoint. But it was ultimately the Jews that insisted that Jesus be crucified. But we know, we've already studied that in great detail that it wasn't just uh, uh, the, like the movies presented as the Jews were single-handedly responsible for the death of Christ and it was a tragedy that unfolded and Jesus had no say in the matter. He was just, he was just a victim of injustice. No, it wasn't like that at all. That was, it was planned. He would be the sacrifice dying in the place of sinners. And uh, so, uh, so the Jews re- rejected Jesus which, uh, which had his fulfillment in, in their, uh, their insistence that he be crucified. But the period of tribulation will turn the Jews back to their Savior. Remember, like we were, when we were downtown the other night, passing out gospel tracts and witnessing, someone, we passed someone, and I overheard them say someone offered them a gospel tract, and their answer to that was, I'm a Jew, which I thought was kind of funny considering pretty much everybody you read in the Bible was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. Matthew was a Jew. Uh, John was a Jew. You know, Paul was a Jew. All, David was a Jew. Solomon was a Jew. All these people that we believe in and uh, that, is, uh, that is we hold in veneration and including our Savior himself were Jews, but they, of course, have rejected the Lord. So the first purpose of the tribulation is to turn Israel back to himself. What's the second? Somebody, anybody, what's the second purpose? I'm waiting. Nations. Nations. You'll have to explain. (laughs) His face went blank. (laughs) What's the purpose, the second purpose of the tribulation? God will use the tribulation to bring Israel to himself and in them turning to him, the Lord will save them. What's second? To judge the, exactly, to judge the world. In fact, Matthew verse, chapter 13 says that he will punish the world for its iniquity. Okay, so moving on from there, we're looking at this, the first of those, which is Israel. So look at Zechariah chapter 12 and... And verse number one, the Bible says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, um, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, 
Zechariah. All right, we have to understand this now. In, during what period of time was Zechar- did Zechariah live? Because if you don't get this right, you'll misunderstand the prophecy. During what period of time did Zechariah live? Huh? Well, of course, in the Old Testament, Zachary, Michael. That's his middle name. He lived, Zechariah lived at the, t- at the period after the Babylonian captivity, right? After the Jews had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because when he mentions uh, a siege around Jerusalem, he's not referring to before the captivity with Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon. He's referring to something after. All right. Um, verse number six. Let's skip down just for time. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit more. Look at verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. All right, so in, I'll just mention this in passing. In the context of Jesus returning, there is a battle. There is a a, a moment, a a period, toward the end of the tribulation, this time of great trouble that comes upon the earth leading up to Jesus returning. There is a period in which the nations want to fight against the Jews and against Jesus who is coming to save the Jews, all right? And we know it is Armageddon. And it's called that because of the the place in which it will be fought, which is, which I, I don't even, I don't know that the word battle is a proper word to describe it exactly. Armageddon occurs in the Valley of Megiddo, which is a valley in, in Israel. That's where the word get Armageddon comes from. Okay, so there's this battle we see it in Revelation. We probably won't spend much time talking about that, but just know that exists. That's one of the conditions and one of the characteristics of this time. Verse number 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. All right? Who is they in verse 10? It says, they shall look upon me whom they pierced. They shall mourn for him. Who is they? No. The Jews. It says, that's fine. We all answer incorrectly sometimes. It says, House of David, inhabitants of Jerusalem. But notice what it says here. They shall look upon me. Now, this is the Lord himself speaking. He says, they, the Jews, shall look upon me whom they pierce. The first thing once you see is they look. In other words, there is an appearance of Jesus Christ at this moment. They see him. And when they see him, they will mourn. Why do you think the Jews will mourn when they see Jesus? Now, we know when Jesus appears at his second advent in Matthew chapter 24, which we've read already, we'll talk about this later, but the, the, the Bible says the inhabitants of the earth will mourn. Now, they'll mourn for a different reason, but the Jews will mourn. Why do you think the Jews will mourn? Anyone take a guess? 
Yes, ma'am. Exactly. They realize, they will realize at that moment that the one who they rejected is the one who is appearing. All right, one of the, and this is important as we consider the rapture. This appearance, this appearance that we're reading about, that the Jews see, that the nations, Matthew 24 says, the nations see is a visible event that will be public for the world to see. Everyone in the world will see it. The nations will see it and mourn. The Jews will see it and will turn to Jesus. That's important that we understand that. The Bible says in Matthew 24, which we'll get to in a minute, that he will return in power and great glory. His return is compared to lightning that comes, you know, have you ever been been, you know, in your house at night on a stormy night and you see a bolt of lightning go from one side of the sky all the way to the other side of the sky and the whole the whole neighborhood lights up, right? The whole, I mean, in other words, it's absolutely unmistakable. It's visible to everyone who's looking. That's what the coming of Christ will be like, all right? So we read this. It says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. Okay, let's look at the book of John chapter 19, if you would. I better hurry. John 19. This is the crucifixion after Jesus died. Verse 34, the Bible says Jesus is now dead. He's, he, has, he died upon the cross, but he is still hanging on the cross. And to ensure that he's dead, John 19, verse 34 says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Okay, skip down. Verse 36, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not a bone, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Of course, you can't look on someone who's pierced unless he's pierced. So they will see him. And this is the same one who was crucified, who was pierced at this moment. The, the piercing referred to is the piercing of his side. All right. Look at Revelation chapter 1, if you would. We covered this last week, but just just to clarify it, make it more more clear for us. Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book, chapter 1, verse number 7, reiterates what we just got done reading. It says this, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. You see, I told you it's visible, it's public, it's like lightning. And they also which pierced him. Who pierced Jesus? They also which pierced him. Who pierced him? It was the Jews responsible for that. All right. So it says in this verse, that, that, and it helps us to understand that in Zechariah chapter 12, what we just read, that what's being referred to is this event. Right? That's how we interpret, by comparing Scripture with Scripture. All right? They also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Again, they see him. They wail. They mourn. They gr- they're grieved because they know what's coming. The Jews see him. They know that he was, that he was pierced, and they're responsible. They mourn for him, but they mourn in repentance. All right? 
Now let's look at the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3. Now, all the things that we've studied, the book of Joel, chapters 2 and 3, overlap a lot of the things that we've already studied, okay? In chapter, notice, I'll just skip around to some verses before we get to some some things I want to read in chapter 3. Notice in chapter 2, Joel, chapter 2, verse 1, it says there, let all the inhabitants, in the middle of the verse, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. For it is nigh at hand. So this chapter is about the day of the Lord, which is a reference in the Bible to the coming of Christ. Verse 2 says, A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as uh, the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like. Neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. That's the same language which we read about the tribulation, right? It is such uh, such a terrible time that it is unique in human history. Verse 10, look what it says. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Look at verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. I'm reading it to you to help establish the context. This is talking about this time of tribulation right before Jesus comes. There's a mention of God's wrath. There's a mention, look at chapter 2, verse 12, of Israel turning. It says this, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with, all, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. We just read that in Zechariah. And rend your heart, and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. So there's a mention of Israel turning. In verse 32, there's a mention of Israel calling upon the Lord for deliverance. And then look at chapter 3, verse number 2. Chapter 3, verse number 2. Look what it says. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. You see that? The valley of Jehoshaphat. That's actually not the name of any valley that's known. But the name Jehoshaphat means, you might want to guess what that, what that name means, Jehoshaphat. It means Jehovah judges. So this is a valley of judgment. And this is a description of the the battle I mentioned earlier, which is the battle of Armageddon. And in verse 9, look what it says in chapter 3, verse 9. Proclaim ye this among among the Gentiles, prepare war. 
Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down. And then verse 13, he says, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. This is the, this is the idea in Revelation. This battle of Armageddon is, is described as the trampling of a wine press. In other words, when Jesus comes at this battle, it will be an absolute bloodbath. An absolute bloodbath. Again, two purposes of the tribulation. One, to punish the wicked. Two, to turn and save Israel. All right? All right, last place before we go to something uh, I want to look at in Matthew chapter 24. Look at Matthew 23, if you would. Matthew chapter 23. This is an interesting little verse here. Matthew 23, verse number 37. Now, just to give you an, under, give you an idea of where the, when this is happening, this is just like, this is just days, what we're about to read. Yes, sir. Matthew 23:37. This verse we're reading here is occurs just days before Jesus goes to the cross, okay? So, you can think of this verse as kind of the final statement of the Lord concerning Israel. Let me explain something to you just in case it's a little unclear. Why is there, when, whenever we talk about the end times, why is there so much emphasis upon Israel? There's so much emphasis upon Israel. Let me explain that to you very briefly. The promises that God made to Israel from long ago, that they would, they would be His special people, that, they, they would be, that He would be their king, that there would be a kingdom in which he would reign over them, and they would be the center of the nations, right? In an exalted place among the nations. That goes way, way back into the Old Testament. It goes back to the book of Genesis, really. And it's repeated over and over and over. But we look at the history of Israel, and the history of Israel is not really, is not really a history of glory. There are periods, you think about the reign of David and Solomon, there are periods of glory and exaltation, but really that's not, that's not the case. So here's, here's my point. Here's why. Number one, God chose the people of Israel. We call them the Jews. God chose the people of Israel as his special people. He has not changed his mind. What he has promised to those, that physical people, he's going to do. That's why they're always on the top of his list whenever we talk about prophecy. 
because so much prophecy deals with His promises to them. Not to us, to them. Now, the good thing is that, as far as I know, no one in here is a Jew. But besides that, whether that's the case or not, we as Christians who are non-Jews have a great deal of blessings that we have kind of, we've received via, via Jesus Christ. You know, you think about reigning with Christ. That's really a promise that God made to Israel, right? The kingdom was a promise God made to Israel. But by virtue of us being in Christ, we are part of that, right? Actually, we're part of that in a much, in a much greater way. Here's, here's the thing. So the prophecies that we read in the Bible about the coming of Christ, of course, deal with Israel because Israel is the center of God's prophetic purpose, right? And I know to this day, the state of Israel, which is not necessarily exactly the same as the biblical Israel, but the state of Israel is always in the news and has been for a long time our, throughout our generation. And they will continue. That, that nation will continue to be in the center of the news. And that nation's not going away. God has a purpose. He's going to fulfill to them that He has promised. And as the nations of this world turn against the people of Israel, God will deal with those nations. You think about what is happening. We've, we read in the Scripture what happened. What, what does God say is going to happen? These armies are going to invade and surround and threaten Israel right before Jesus comes. And then all of a sudden, this is what we read, I'm kind of summarizing it, and all of a sudden things happen in in heaven. There are miraculous signs that have never been seen before happen, and then Jesus appears. And all of those people who wanted to, to fight against God's people to whom He gave great promises... All of a sudden, those people are confronted with the one who gave those promises. And all of a sudden, he appears like he said he would to Israel to defend them. You realize that's what we've been reading. The Lord would come and defend his people. That's what we read over and over. And when when Jesus Christ comes, that's one of the reasons he's coming. And, And tandem with that is his punishment of those that have come against Israel. And when they see him, that's what we've read also in Revelation, when they see him, then their sights will be turned to him. And that's when this battle occurs as a precursor to his kingdom. This is the reason that Israel is so important. When you talk about eschatology, that is end times, this is the reason Israel is so important. Now look at chapter 23 of Matthew, verse 37. Listen to what Jesus says. To Remember, Jesus himself is a Jew. Verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. So this is the rejection by Israel of Jesus Christ, right? Verse 38, Behold, 
Your house is left unto you desolate. This is the judgment of Israel because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. Verse 39. For I say unto you, ye shall... Now, who is ye? Stop, stop there. Who is ye? Who's this? But who is it referring to? Who is Jesus speaking to? Verse 37. Very clear. Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the capital of, the, of Israel, the Jews. So he's speaking to the Jews directly. He says to the Jews, Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What is he referring to? He gives, he gives Israel a word of hope right before he goes to the cross. They have rejected him. He knows what's coming. And he says this. Number one, they will see him again. That's what he's saying, right? You shall not see me henceforth till. That means they are going to see him again. We already talked about that. When they see him, when he comes and they look upon him whom they pierce, that's what they will see. So he mentions the next time that they see Jesus, he also says that they will welcome him because he says, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So the Jews rejected him the first time, but when they see him, they will welcome him, right? Because they will have repented because he will be coming to save them, all right? And they know that. So that at that moment, at that day, they will finally see Jesus whom they have pierced and will welcome him. And thus, the purpose of the tribulation is fulfilled. Jesus says, they will say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like a group of people who are excited that this person that they see has come, Right? They're excited. Their heart is totally different than it was 2,000 years ago. It will be welcoming him. And, and so the purpose of the tribulation to turn Israel's heart and so that they welcome him and mourn for what they have done to him when they pierced him. And they will turn to him and he will save them. All of those things are part of the scriptural prophecies about Jesus and Israel. And so he will save them. So the two purposes, punishing the wicked, punishing the world for its evil, and turning Israel so that he will save them. Okay, look at Matthew 24, if you would. Yes, sir. Plural. Thou. Matthew 24, verse 29. I'll read this really quick before we get, another, get to another verse. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall, and they shall see 
the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right, this is what this is the event we've been getting to, okay? This is not the only time this event is mentioned in the scripture, but I wanted to read it to kind of tie up everything we've read about in Joel, in Zechariah, and in other passages. This is a, a grand, culminating, climactic event in history. Jesus comes, the sky, the heavenly bodies that give light go dark. And then there is an appearance of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Revelation that heaven, the heaven, heaven is opened. There is no doubt great. The Bible refers to glory. There's great light. Everyone can see it. In fact, Revelation says every eye shall see him. All right. So this is a major public event. This is a major public event. And everyone will know it. This is not some secret thing. This is not like, well, Jesus already came. You know, you, you hear these things in the news over the, over the years. Jesus came to 22, 22 or whatever, you know. Mayan calendar and this, we talked about that the, the other week. You know, all these predictions where Jesus, you know, like the Jehovah's Witnesses said that Jesus came in 1917. And it's like, no, he didn't. Because this coming is public. This, there's no mistaking it. <laughs> there's no mistaking it. All right? Now, if you would... Go back up to verse number 8. Sorry, verse 9 of Matthew 24. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Many would be offended in verse 10. Verse 11, there would be false prophets and a lot of deception. Verse 12, iniquity or sin will abound causing the love of many to wax cold, verse 12, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I want to address this verse briefly. This is, this is a, one of the top ten verses in the Bible that has been misused and abused to teach false doctrine. All right? Basically, here's the way this verse, here's the way this is often used, and I'll cite some things with you to, to prove it. Basically, people that read this verse take it out of the context in which it's found, which it's clearly found in the context of the coming of Jesus Christ, right? That's one reason I've been reading and, and going into such detail so that you understand where that verse is found, okay? But people take this verse and they'll say something like, you believe in Jesus, yes, but you have to endure uh, uh, to the end of your life uh, to be finally and completely saved and go to heaven. That's what they say. See, he that shall endure to the end, the same that he that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. See, it proves it. You see how they use that? I'm not just making this up. I want to read a couple things to you. How many of you have heard of the Westminster Confession of Faith? All right? Listen to this. That it says, They whom God hath accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Well, hold on. They're using the same language as this verse and saying essentially, 
you really have to persevere and endure into the end to be saved. You see, they're using this verse to say this. This is the same wording. All right, well, you say, well, I'm not, not a Presbyterian. Okay, fine. I'll read the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Those whom God has accepted in the Beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, they just copied the Westminster, by the way, <laughs> and given the precious faith of His elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end. The word end is the problem in that verse. All right? How many of you have heard of Albert Barnes' notes on the Bible? I actually like Barnes' notes a lot. Here's what he says about this verse, right? I'll summarize. He says, The word end here has by some been, been thought to mean the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? He doesn't really agree with that. He says, Others with more probability, in other words, this is what he thinks, have referred to this to, refer this to final salvation and refer to the end to the close of life. He that bears afflictions and persecutions faithfully that constantly adheres to his religion and does not shrink till death, shall be saved or shall enter heaven. You see what he just said, right? What he says on this verse is that the end refers to death. And so what he says, his interpretation is, you believe in Jesus, but now you have to believe and be faithful and follow God all the way until the end, which is when you die, and then you'll be saved. All right, and to add a little bit of uh, a little bit of flavor to our study here, the Mormon publication called "Enduring to the End" by President Dieter Uchtdorf, who is the second counselor in the first presidency, he says, "Enduring to the end or remaining faithful to the laws and ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout our life is a fundamental requirement for salvation in the kingdom of God." That's, that's what they're saying this verse means, right? This belief distinguishes Latter-day Saints from many other Christian denominations that teach that salvation is given to all who simply believe and confess that Jesus is the Christ. That The Lord clearly declared, if you keep my commandments and endure to the end, that's this verse, you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God, which is a quote from the Doctrines and Covenants, which is a copy from the Bible, this verse. Now, does everybody understand what people say this verse means? I hope so. The problem is the word end. In this verse, the word end does not mean when you die. It means when Jesus comes back. Okay? Look at this. Verse 3. They ask about when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Verse 6, but the end is not yet. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The end is not when you die. The end is when, the, when Jesus returns. That's the end in this, in this context. All right, so we read verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, that's not death. That's when Jesus comes. 
The word end is defined as uh, by this passage itself, not by some outside definition we impose upon it. So therefore, it is wrong to say that the word end means death, and this verse means you have to believe in Christ and do this and do that all the way up until you die. This verse is not saying that at all. Number two, the word saved. Look down at verse number 22. Look down at verse 22. It says this, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. This saved here is not referring to the soul's salvation from sin. This is referring to a physical salvation. Verse 22 uses the same word, and, and it's not referring to when we believe in Christ and are saved. It's referring to when Jesus comes and saves, right? He that shall endure unto the end, when, till Jesus comes, the same shall be saved physically, right? This is an important... Here, here's the thing. Let me get to it because I'm, I'm running out of time. The great misunderstanding of this verse lies in the assumption that eternal salvation, which is not even what's being spoken of here, salvation from sin of the soul is not even what it's talking about. But the assumption is that what's being viewed here is salvation of the soul and that it is provisional. That you get saved, but then you're, you be, sorry, you believe in Jesus, but you're not really totally, fully, completely saved until the end of your life if you have been faithful your whole life. And then, you see, that's, the, the problem though is that, is that people use this verse to say that salvation is provisional. And that you're not saved now if you believe in Christ. You will be saved when you die if you're faithful. You see, that's a problem because that is not what the Scriptures teach. Let me read a couple of verses to you. The Scriptures teach, listen now, the Scriptures teach that if you have believed in Jesus Christ and trusted in Him with all your heart, you are saved now, right now. You're not waiting to be saved provisional upon some thing you must do or some endurance you must complete. You are saved now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at this. Verse 2. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved not shall be saved, are saved. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Even when we were dead in sins, Christ, it says, hath quickened us together by grace, ye are saved. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That is a present possession. That's not all. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll read it and then we'll finish. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 9. 
says this, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Christ hath saved us. It's done. Now, here's the problem. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. The issue is what this, what that, that chapter is talking about is the end of the world, not the end of an individual's life. This is a reference to those that believe at that time who are being persecuted and hounded and hunted. And if they last, and I don't even necessarily think it's referring to them being faithful. I think it's referring to them living. <laughs> if they live through the tribulation, because a couple verses above that, it says that they, they will be killed. It actually, Jesus said, they will be killed. But if they live through the tribulation to the end, Jesus is coming and he's going to save them, in particular, the Jews who believe in him. Here's the reason I wanted to bring that up. Because it's important when we study the Bible that we read the scripture in context. Because if we are not careful... People will take verses out of their intended meaning and will make them mean a bunch of other things. And those verses can sometimes cause believing uh, children of God to have trouble in their life with doubt, questions, lack of assurance because they've been told things that are not in the Scripture. So hopefully that's uh, clarified that verse a little bit. I know we had to go through it fast, but hopefully it was, a, uh, was insightful. Let's pray together.